You know, one man's savant is another one's bullshit artist. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on who you ask. <laughs> yes, exactly. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Film Hustlers. That's Here a great intro, Robert. You like that? So, brand new year. That's right. 2023. I want to congratulate everyone on getting through the year. You know, everyone had like lots of dreams about doing their movies and getting their TV shows done and getting their scripts done and all that. And I think, you know, I've seen a lot of emails and a lot of uh, DMs that uh, that say that they were inspired by the show. So, hopefully we'll keep doing that in 2023. Yep. But um, what I like about our show is that on occasion we have somebody in the industry that we've never had on before in terms of what they do. Now today, Bill Stanky's here. Bill Stanky, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. He handles and has handled Chip and Joanna Gaines, the McGee's, Ethan and Elizabeth Finkelstein, which are the show that my wife's executive producing with Bill called Bold Cheap Old Houses. One of my favorite. I love those. Ones. That's super yeah. exciting. Like I don't, I don't even know how that came about, but I love the idea. Obviously, Ethan and Elizabeth are clients of Bill's, and um, Anne and Bill have worked together. And Bill always, Anne always talks about how much she appreciates working with Bill and how Bill gets things done. And to be honest, you guys have done a lot of work together, you and Anne. And we have. Um, and he also handles and manages Ty Pennington. I, I haven't even met Ty, and yeah. Ty always comments on all my all my stuff on my Instagram, which yeah. I think is <laughs> kind of fun. Yeah, he's always always comments. All, you know, we, we have like posting building stuff, Robert. I see where you're going to this. <laughs> if go. I only had some help I know. with this. Yeah, day. really. Yeah, abso- absolutely. <laughs> but I, I need like- a new train air conditioner. I wonder who might be able to get a discount <laughs> on that. I love people like Ty, though, because Ty's just such a normal guy. You know, I, I feel like I know him. I feel like if I met him, it would be like we knew each other for years. I have to tell you, he's a really great guy. Yeah, he's he's down to earth. He's normal. Well, I won't go that far. Yeah, he's he's got a wicked sense of humor, you know, and and he's a lot of fun to be around. And I, he's been a client of mine for over twenty years now. And he's been a star for. I mean, I remember being. I don't want to age myself, but I remember seeing him on Trading Spaces, which was was Trading Spaces one of the first. Um, reality type shows ever? It was one of the first home shows. Yeah. Home shows, that, yeah. You know, premiered like in maybe 1999, maybe, or yeah. 2000. I just remember girls talking about him and his shirt off and like the show. Yeah. And like, I, I, it was it was pretty amazing, like the kind of coverage he got. But Did you want to get into construction? Then, I didn't. Really I like, didn't watch hey. the show at all, but I kept hearing about this guy that's on Trading Spaces. Like everyone was talking about it. So it's it's interesting that he's um, he's been so successful after doing that show. Was he always on television or was he an actor before that or how did how did he get on that show no he was he was a he was a set carpenter oh wow so he worked on uh he was the carpenter on leaving las vegas the film oh wow wow. and uh and then he was working on uh building a set down in knoxville tennessee for this new show that that at the time scripts was going to produce and they didn't like the carpenter they had on, and the woman who was working with them or was working on the set that day said, "Bring that guy in from over there." And it was Ty, and you know, and bang, it was yeah. magic right after that. And he's never been out of the business. Now I want a little Harrison Ford right there. Exactly, yeah. a little, a little I mean? bit. You're exactly. right, a little bit. I want to go back to how you got started because your story is pretty interesting. You know, and one thing we talk about on the show a lot is how sometimes you set out to do something in your life and something takes you in a different direction. You know, I was talking to Anne about it last night. It's interesting to me because you came from a place where you were calling agents to offer 
large sums of money for talent to do commercials. Tell yep. me a little bit about how you got started being a manager. I started my career being a lecture agent, booking speakers at college lectures and corporate lectures. And if you were a felon, you were a client. I had, I had <laughs> Abby Hoffman and Timothy Leary and G. Gordon Liddy and John Ehrlichman and you know everybody from the whole Nixon thing were clients. And then I transitioned from that, uh, left the company that I was with in New York, started my own company, and um, I started to get calls from PR companies and ad agencies because the big agencies wouldn't call these people back. I mean, they just plain wouldn't call them back. And so, you know, I knew a lot of agents from the different agencies. So I would get in the middle of these deals. Someone would call up and they'd be like, well, we've got someone. We need to find a celebrity that has restless leg syndrome, you know, or, or allergies or whatever it may be. And then I would call the different agents or their managers or whatever it was. And then I would start to put these deals together with, with PR companies because the, the uh, environment had shifted in terms of what you were allowed to do on television, particularly in the drug business. You know, it's like they asked, uh, who was the famous bank robber? You know, why do you rob banks? That's because where the money is. Well, that's why I got involved in the pharmaceutical industry, <laughs> <laughs> putting celebrities in pharmaceutical campaigns. Uh, Joan London was the first person to ever do a TV commercial for a, a prescription drug, which was Claritin. And ad agency had come to me, said, we understand she has allergies. I went to William Morris. They had made a, you know, a fairly substantial offer, a few million bucks. And the agent at William Morris said, oh, she'll never in a million years do that. And I was crestfallen because I was already spending my money. You know, <laughs> it's, it's a good commission. She's going to buy a Lamborghini or something. <laughs> and um, ultimately, two months later, I read in the newspaper that she left the William Morris agency, and they listed the uh, name of her lawyer, uh, a guy by the name of Mark Chamlin, who's the head of the entertainment practice at Loeb & Loeb. And so I called him up, and I said, why did you turn this deal down? And he said, what are you talking about? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I put this offer in through William Morris, and he says, you know, go, well, go back and get it. And so I called the ad agency back up, and it was an ad agency I tried getting my foot in the door with for like 10 years, could never get them to call me back. And they had made an offer of $2 million, and I went back to them, and I said, look, she's willing to do it, but we need $5 million. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but it's a two-year deal. I'm going to give you two years. So I went from a one-year deal for $2 million for a two-year deal for $5 million. And, uh, you know, and that's how I you know, really got started in that brokering business and saw how lucrative it could did be. Did they say yes? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so yes. she did clear they, they said yes, and, it, and it renewed for like four years. I think, I don't know oh. how much money she made on the long run, but she did very, very well on that. Nice. Things haven't changed. Agents still stand in your way. I was about to say, agents still get in the way and mess shit up. Basically, that's what happened. Because if you could have went straight to the... Well, you actually would have lost on out three million. So let's say it worked out for the best. You <laughs> got the Lamborghini. You, you got the Lamborghini, and you go. got a little extra. You know, but uh, no, you know, it's it's a matter of uh, you have to figure out who you're serving. And what I find with a lot of a lot of people, particularly in the big agencies, is they're serving themselves. Right. They're not serving their clients. Yeah. And. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I don't know how you continue with that, but it's been systemic for a long time. Yeah. How did, um, so once you made that deal, did other agencies and agents hear about, hey, Stanky came with a $5 million deal for Jane London? I mean, did that become a thing? That no, no, that didn't become a thing. Oh, no? It was still hard to get anyone to pick up the phone and call you back really? sometimes. 
Yeah, wow. no. that's obnoxious. You know, and <laughs> so I fortunately I figured out the whole manager thing. So I would start to go to managers, and then the managers would turn me around and send me to the agents. And I'm thinking, man, there's a lot of hands in the pot here. Like, why are you doing this? But um, but I was able to build a lot of connections, particularly here in Los Angeles. Um, as a result of doing this work, because there was nobody else doing it. Right. And ultimately, what ended up happening, companies like WPP and Omnicom and you know, the big holding companies for all the PR agencies, they ended up in, you know, creating their own internal versions of me. So I started to get aced out of that business, and, and then I pivoted, ended up becoming a manager, because I had put together a PR program for Ty during the launch of the McGriddle Sandwich. I feel responsible for that. Wait, so <laughs> I take a lot of pride in the McGriddle sandwich. I yeah, have to be not honest. That's a bad with. sandwich. I have, to, I have to be honest. I haven't with you. had a McGriddle you know, sandwich. It's seasonal, oh, oh. isn't it? Seasonal? No, no, no. It's every day. It's is it you know, back? okay. It's, it's delicious. It's pancakes, and in the middle of the pancakes are eggs and sausage, and the pancakes are already infused <laughs> with syrup. <laughs> So it it doesn't make him a mouthwater. You know, yeah, no, it's, it's good. That's you know, amazing. It's like it's like the it's like it's like the ketamine of pancakes. <laughs> now, do you eat that with the with the fork and a knife, or no, just with just, the hand? Oh no, you eat it with the hand. Oh, you right, know, if I you like, eat it with a fork or a knife, that's yeah. no hash you, browns. Can you throw hash browns on it too? Just yes, to kind of I, think it, I think you, you probably could. Can. That may be yes. seasonal though. That might be. That, there we go. There's the seasonal. So you stack them up, baby. So put some hot sauce. Before we get into the McGriddle sandwich, how did you meet Ty? Um, it was, I got a call from a PR agency in Chicago, Golden, uh, Golan Harris, and they have, they've been McDonald's agency for probably 50 years. And the idea was they were going to launch the McGriddle sandwich. The, the, the genius part of it is we're going to do a McGriddle sandwich stacking competition. You know, visually, I'm not so sure, but, you know, but that's what they wanted to do. And, um... You know, I had to find someone who was in that, you know, in that in the trade business that mm -hmm. it would make sense to build something. So I was representing a guy by the name of Andrew Dan Jumbo at the time, and I thought he would be great. He was on while you were out or trading spaces, and they didn't want him. And um, and my wife said, "Oh, you know, what about Ty Pennington?" And I was like, "Really? Like I, I'm not seeing that." But I reached out to him, and he came into Chicago. He he did he did the deal, and um, it was a big payday for him. Because um, at the time he was making like fifteen hundred dollars on trading spaces, there was like no money involved in it at all. And he was a draw. And he was the draw. Like he was, he was, he was the guy. Wow. Crazy. Know? But you know that's, you know that's how reality TV started. Was you know people yeah. did not get paid a lot of money. They still don't. Get they paid still don't a lot get paid money. a lot of money. Yeah. So he accepted the gig. He did the McGriddle uh, sandwich thing, and then you guys never separated. Or no, we just we just kind of hit it off. Mm. And um, at the time. He told me, oh, I have this other show that I've been proposed to me. Um, he had an agent at the time. Uh, and he said, you know, I think I need a manager. And I said, well, I don't know that much about the TV business. And he said to me, I don't think anyone knows that much about the TV business. <laughs> True. And I was like, well, then I'm up for the job. <laughs> and I'm in. And I'm, I'm totally qualified yeah, you'll for over, this. You'll over-deliver in that case. You know, they were shooting the pilot, and he had some issues on the set, and he called me. And I didn't know anyone in TV, but I, you know, I found out that Andrea Wong was the head of reality at ABC. What was the show? The show was Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Oh, wow. Yeah. The show was cool. Extreme Makeover Home Edition. They were shooting in Detroit, and that came about as a fluke. 
What happened was they were going to make the house over in a short period of time, and the family that was chosen happened to have a kid who was handicapped. And that became the draw for that show, was having a, a, a renovation, but at the same time, helping somebody out who needed help. Lucky you know, break. A family in need. And that's how the format really uh, evolved. So then you called Andrea Wong on behalf of... And said, hey, my guy doesn't have a trailer. And he's like, well, there's a trailer in the budget. I don't know why he doesn't have a trailer. And you know, then I unraveled that you know the agents were getting packaging fees and they weren't, you know... Ty was over the moon because he wasn't uh, you know, having to pay a commission. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what a packaging fee was. You know, I, I had no idea. And then I you know, looked through the whole thing, and I was like, look, these guys are feathering their own nests. You know, they're not taking care of the talent. So I stepped in, and I took care of them, and we've been together now for you know, over 20 years. So just so people understand, a packaging fee is when you're with an agency that charges the production a fee for their services in addition to getting you the money as a talent. But they get paid sometimes more than the talent gets. They call paid. that the vig on the street. Oh, the vig. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah no, it is. It's totally. It is. That's exactly what it's called. It's yeah. the vig. But it's a packaging fee is is three percent. And the way that that's it works, the, vig, 3%. The, the way the way that it works is if if the cost of the show of an episode is three million dollars, or let's say a million dollars, million dollars for the cost of the show, three percent, you know, thirty grand. Is the packaging fee? It's a lot of money. Okay, and you collect your packaging fee up front. So if you get an order for ten episodes, you're collecting three hundred thousand dollars up front. Meanwhile, the talent, and this was a network show, was getting paid seventy five hundred dollars as talent. So the agents were splitting a thirty thousand dollar packaging fee. The talent's not making any money, and then they've got their hands in their pocket because they want to. Uh, Save on a trailer, yeah. you know. So there's all kinds of grift going on in some of these hmm. things. Sometimes plus a commission, I, right? I think it's I think it's no much no more. commission, no commission no, on no. the talent because we're doing you a favor. Yeah, yeah. You don't have we're to worry about. Care of you. We're taking care of you. <laughs> You're a hundred percent taken care of. You don't ever have to pay us. A Except commission. for that vig, that vig right. is yeah. coming in it's first. Gotta we got to wet the beak first. <laughs> um, so so then you and Ty become manager talent uh he gets extreme makeover home edition which becomes a huge hit huge hit 10 years yeah for 10 years amazing which makes him a household name totally so were you representing other people as well at this point or was it just him i know i was pretty much brokering talent i was getting in the middle of deals because the big agencies weren't calling back the ad agencies or the pr companies or you know, even people for, you know, personal appearances. The other story that I think is super interesting is that you got Ty a deal at Sears. How did the Sears deal come about? Well, I read early on that Sears had signed on as a sponsor of the show. And I figured, well, I can create some leverage with this. So I called uh, Sears and said, look, I think that Ty would be great for a line of products. They had represented, they had, Bob Vila had been the spokesperson for, uh, craftsman tools for a really long time from this old house and i thought maybe you could use you know a new face on this and they said to me well look we're already involved in the show we don't really need ty pennington as a spokesperson and i said okay well that that works for me as long as you don't care that he may be a spokesperson for the home depot at some point good good move (laughs) And then they were like, you know, what are you talking about, Willis? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so they flew into New York. We took a meeting. And, you know, I, I had this vision and Ty had this vision of, uh, 
you know, doing stuff beyond tools. So, you know, we had, we had 700 SKUs. We had plates and dishes and tableware and picture frames and, you know, all kinds of stuff. So not just power all kinds tools. Of stuff. Yeah, everything. Yeah, all design kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, tablecloths. And, and you know, at, at the time, he had like 700 SKUs wow. at, at Sears. And, you know, that's money undiluted by labor. You know, I mean, yeah. you wake up in the morning and you get a report and, you know, you find out the day before, oh, you know, we did $400,000 in sales and I get this little tiny percentage of that. But it adds up. Every day. <laughs> yeah. Every day. Oh, yeah. Every day. It yeah. adds up. And a result of that, um, a lot of other, you know, people in the um, home renovation business started to come to me for representation. That's kind of how the whole career got started in the, in the home and the design business was a result of, of Ty. Yeah, kind of a narrow, narrow category to some degree. And what I've always done is, because like, I don't care. Like, I make the deal, great. If I don't make the deal, that's okay, too. But what I learned was, like, you start at the absolute top of the company, and then they push you down. And, like, if you call the chairman, if you, if you, call, if you call the president of, I had a client who wanted to be in Nordstrom's, okay? So I called Peter Nordstrom. Now, I don't know Peter Nordstrom, okay? I have no idea who, and all I know is like when you look them up on LinkedIn, Peter Nordstrom's the chairman of the company, so I called Peter Nordstrom. And Peter Nordstrom referred me to somebody else, and as soon as you get that referral to somebody else that comes from who the head of the company is, they start to pay attention, and then their whole philosophy is, oh, I can't fuck this up, right? you know? And as a result of that, you know, they start to pay more and more attention to you and you can either end up making a deal or you don't make a deal, but, but they, but they listen to you and they pay attention to you. There's something powerful though. There's something powerful about what you do because what you do, you sort of specialize in it. And as a result, you know, you've got Ty, you've got, you know, Chip and Joanna Gaines. And, and, you know, I got to tell you, I was at target the other day and I was coming down the escalator and I saw like, Oh, there's Chip and Joanna Gaines section, and there's um, the McGee's section, like right next to each other, yeah, like a whole, right. like, like full on living rooms and 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 yeah. kitchen <laughs> stuff. I mean, but it was interesting because I thought for sure you were responsible for setting those scenarios up for these guys. Yep. But I don't think man like real like managers that are at agencies and agents that are at, unless you go to them there's a very good chance that those deals don't become available, right? You actually call target and, and yeah. offer up these things. And, Absolutely. And they don't, they hadn't even thought about probably making a deal with these guys to have their own line of stuff. Right. Right. Well, I mean, initially target, uh, turned down the gains. Oh, wow. Really? Initially. Um, and how then, do you, how do you get them to say yes? Then do you, are you giving them ideas like, Hey, do this. Hey, do uh, yeah, well, they, they, they turned around. They started to look at stuff a little bit, you know, differently. And uh, so when they came back and they made the deal with the Gaines, which has been a wonderful deal for everybody involved, you know, and the Gaines have knocked it out of the ballpark at Target. And there's a lot of room for different talent inside of places like, you know, Target and Walmart and big box stores. Mm-hmm. So after they made the deal with the Gaines and I was no longer representing the Gaines after that, I thought, you know, I'm going to call them and see if they're interested in Sid and Shay McGee. Right. And, uh, you know, and they were interested in them. And now I've got this credibility because I delivered, you know, I delivered Ty to Sears and that was a winner. And then the Gaines to Target and that was a winner. And then the McGee's, which is, you know, you know, an even bigger winner at Target right now. And it wasn't by design, 
but like I like to try to maintain relationships with no. people. So once I had that person inside of, you know, Target that I could talk to, you know, I could call them for advice and say, hey, I've got somebody for this, but like, where do you think I should go with it in retail? Um, if it wasn't right for, you know, whether it's Target or Walmart or wherever, and they would give me good advice on where I should go or give me ideas to go with. So it's all about maintaining connections with, with people. And I think that intrinsically, people truly want to help other people. Right. Except for maybe in the film industry or the entertainment <laughs> industry. They don't want to help anybody. It's like, I'm not sure that this is going to work for us. You know, don't, don't tell. How many times have you gone in and pitched a, a movie or a story to somebody, and at the end of the meeting they go, we love this. Don't tell this to anybody else. We're going to get back to you. <laughs> well, I, I, I probably it's haven't. Had, I haven't had that, but I've had you know studio execs stand up in the middle of my pitch and go like, "This is not for us." Like literally stand up, <laughs> literally stand up and leave the room. This is he's us. talking about succession. Like about, no, yeah, not no, this is no, no, this is a failure <laughs> part of it. This is completely and, uh, not going to work for us. But um, I don't want it to get lost in this in this conversation that. You're making things happen by making phone calls, yeah. by connecting with people, by doing things that ordinary managers and agents might not have done. And you open those doors. Let me ask you this. Because you opened those doors for these clients, did any agents or managers catch on to what yeah, you were doing and it. try to do it? Yeah, of course. Oh, you know, yeah. Yeah. And what, what, end, what ended up happening, like I spent most of... Uh, from like 2004 until the pandemic, uh, flying around the country and being on set when when my clients were doing TV commercials or whatever it be, because what would happen is, and you got to remember back in like when Ty first got on TV, none of the agencies wanted to represent reality talent. It wasn't a thing. They wanted scripted people. They didn't care about it. They didn't see it. They didn't have a vision for it. They weren't used to it. It was um, going away in a year. Yeah, yeah, that, that was going to be over. Reality's yeah. done. It's never going to happen. But as soon as people started to get success, what would happen was these bigger agencies, and whether it was like CAA or William Morris or UTA or ICM, they'd start to show up on sets. Or if I had somebody booked on, you know, Jimmy Fallon, you know, you know, they would see the list of the guests that are going on Jimmy Fallon, and I'd walk backstage, and there'd be like four guys from you know William Morris, and I'd be like, "What are you guys doing here?" <laughs> you know, so I spent a lot of time just protecting my own turf. I got a lot of frequent flyer miles out yeah, of it, yeah. <laughs> okay, but you know, it was it was exhausting, you know. But fortunately, throughout my entire career, I've really only lost like two clients. If you think about people like Chip and Joanna Gaines, do they have a network now? They're sort of an institution now. Is that does that become something where they just don't need management in in the level that they did before and they've just kind of become their own like huge company? Like how does that work? Like when they move on to these huge deals, is it do, do you guys part ways because it's just sort of Time? I think you part ways because it's it's sort of time. Yeah. I think I think sometimes you part ways because you don't share the same vision mm. about things. Um, I think in the case of the gains, like they were pretty well set up yeah. when their network was done. I mean, they you know they they had the infrastructure. Um, they've built a beautiful company for themselves. Yeah. They've done very well for themselves, and um, 
And once the network deal was set up, which I wasn't part of other than introducing Zasloff to them because I brought I went flew down well, with David to introduce them. Pretty sure that was that helped. Yeah. <laughs> you know, pretty sure yeah, that helped. It, out. it absolutely <laughs> helped. There's no question about that. And and David is a great guy. Yeah. They seem um, like good people. And they made the deal with them. Once that deal was made, then they had to create content. And that's when I think they went out and they found I think they interviewed every agent under the sun and yeah. they ended up settling with with UTA, which has done a good job for them overall. It's an interesting business because it does kind of grow in kind of weird ways. Now, in addition to Target and and these other deals, you you get these people book deals? Yeah, no, I've done, I, I think I've had... Uh, I want to say, I think I've had like 18 New York Times number one bestsellers. Wow. So, so, okay, so let me ask you this. How does that work? Like, do you know anything about the book business when you make these deals? The beauty of this business is you don't need to know shit. Okay? <laughs> yes. You know, See, here we is, go. This is a business that's made up of like nonsense. So <laughs> all true. you have to do is, you know, have a little bit of guts and make these phone calls and you can learn as you do it. So on the book side of stuff, yeah, I had a literary agent that I worked with a little bit who taught me some of the back end of this stuff. And you know, we sometimes I use him on, on deals, sometimes I don't use him on deals and I do my own deals. But um, you know, it's not rocket science. But there's you know? money to be made in books and book deals? Yes. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's money to be made in book deals if you reach a certain level. You know, other than that, you've really got to be careful about who the publisher is. It's more important to get marketing support on the side of a book than to get some kind of crazy giant advance. Because the advance is only the advance. And if you don't earn out your advance, you're never getting another book again as long as you live. So, so what I try to do is I try to find, when I negotiate with somebody, I try to find something where everyone feels good about it and everyone walks away as a winner. Because there's nothing worse than someone going, I didn't want to lose the book deal, but I paid, you know, $5 million advance on this book and I'm going to get my ass handed to me at some point. That's not fun. You don't want that. Yeah. I would rather have someone get a $500,000 advance with a $4 million marketing campaign behind it so that that book stays number one on the New York Times list for 20, 30, 40, 50 weeks because you're earning the money anyway yeah. from the advance. Right. You know? And then everyone's happy. You know, and then everyone's happy. Yeah. You know, and then you know, and then you can, you know, put a gun in their mouth the next time you go to negotiate <laughs> the book deal. Right. <laughs> so there's so th- there's a long game to some of this stuff. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. it's all about relationships. You know, I go I use the same I don't use the same publishers, but it's like five or six publishers that I feel really comfortable with that do a really good job. So I will go to them first with different things. I'll bring them an, an idea or I'll ask them what they're looking for. You know, it's the same thing on the retail side of stuff, you know, between, you know, Target and Walmart, and Crate and Barrel and At Home and all these companies I've worked with. I really want to know what what the trends are that they're looking for and whether or not I can have somebody who can authentically authentically fit into that trend. Yeah. That's um, interesting. So let me ask you this, which I find fascinating. Like obviously the business has changed a ton since you started. Yeah. But like you and my wife uh, collaborated on a show called Cheap Old Houses. Right. Um, now. Great show, by the way. Yeah, thank you. Uh, what am I talking about? Yeah, I know. Why you say Apparently, if my wife did it, I'd say, it's, it's, I did it. Oh, you take credit. Okay. I take credit. Um, but, that, you know, business has changed so much. Now, now, this is two people that started an IG account 
called yeah. Cheap Old Houses? Is that yeah. how? Is that how? This, it all came from originally there was a an account on Facebook, Circa, and then they developed this Cheap Old Houses, which went on to Instagram. And I was actually having breakfast with Ty down here in Venice. I don't know, maybe seven or eight years ago. And he said, have you seen this cheap old houses thing? Like, here's a school, and it's like $4. And I was like, really? And he's like, yeah, they just post these homes that are all under hundred grand." So I looked at it and uh, thought about it a little bit, and I reached out to Ethan and Elizabeth. And at the time, they were under a deal, a development deal with a production company in New York. And so there was no way that I could get involved in anything. And I said to them, well, you know, let me know what happens. But what's the process been so far? Have they shot a sizzle reel? Are they talking to you about the creative? They're like, no, we just signed a deal with them. And, and it ends up like they were signed for like two years to this production company. And the production company never did a freaking thing. Mm. Nothing. Never pitched them. Never set up a meeting for them. But they were locked up. Once they got freed from being locked up, I thought... There's something here. And, you know, I've known Ann for a long time. But back when she was, you know, running ABC Daytime and she didn't buy the show I pitched her, which I'm still pissed about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still a little annoyed about that. Um, uh, but, you know, at, at any rate, once, once I had the idea for this thing, I went to Ann and I said, what do you think about this? And she says, oh, my God, they've got over a million followers. We should be able to sell this. And... You know, fortunately, we went to Jane Latman at uh, at uh, HGTV, and she bought the show. And it, you know, the show did very, very well. It was a number one show the first three weeks that it came out. But they really wanted a renovation in it. The audience wanted a renovation, so the show was going to slowly peter away unless we changed the format. And then Anne came up with what you know I think is a great format. So yeah. we'll, we should be back on the air by september of next year we what? just finished the pilot but the pilot's really really good yeah i saw the pilot it looks amazing i'm i'm looking forward to you guys having a huge success with that so in success with a show like that does that increase the possibilities for that talent doing other deals yeah i mean the, the bottom line is is you don't make money on television um and reality television i mean if you're highly paid if you're highly paid home renovation guy. Maybe you'll be making $50,000 an episode, maybe $75,000 an episode, but there's only like three people that are making that amount of money. Everyone else is making like 6,500 bucks an episode. Mm. And, and they're spending a tremendous amount of time. And the idea that a lot of these people have going into it is, is like, well, if I get on TV, it's gonna really help my business. And it works inversely. Once you, if you've got a successful business and you get on TV, typically, you blow the shit out of your business and your business falls apart because it's taking you 30 weeks to shoot five episodes or seven episodes of a show. And meanwhile, your business is falling apart. So the only way to prop that up is to be able to do licensing, merchandising, whatever it may be. Cheap Old Houses is a challenge from a licensing and merchandising standpoint because um, they're, Ethan and Elizabeth are more real estate experts than they are design experts, although Elizabeth has a, has, a, has a great eye for design. But you're renovating these old homes. So, you know, chalk paint makes sense. You know, a hammer hits a nail on the head. Does someone want to pay an extra three bucks for a hammer because it's Ty Pennington's hammer or Chip Gaines's hammer? No, no one wants to pay the extra three bucks for a hammer that does something. But something that is esoteric, like 
design, they'll pay for that. Yeah. You know, and so it's like uh, for the Finkelsteins, the thing that I think I'm going to do is vintage wallpaper makes Ooh. sense to me I to was go just after. Thinking that when Were you, you thinking that? that? Yeah, yeah, it was. That's cool. Yeah, wallpaper is a really will be a really good category for them. So that's one line of, of product that'll be in there. There's like wood moldings and things along those lines, hardwood floors. And you can do licensing and all that kind of stuff, but you've got to find something that's authentic to they to who they are. And you can't do a deal with a company that, you know, is questionable in any way, shape, or form in terms of the quality of the stuff that they do, because if they make a lousy product, that yeah. stink's gonna get all over your client. Right. And then they're gonna have to shower like Aaron Sorkin eight times a <laughs> Seven day. Times. Six, Seven, to eight. Six, six to eight. Six to eight times a day. <laughs> That's crazy. I mean, it's is Davey Dave, do you see do you see any correlation to what's happening in the industry for you, like uh, in social media? And, yeah, and you're an influencer, yeah. man. So how, well, how does that, what happens with you in that area? Uh, it's different for me because I kind of stay quiet and stay in my own lane, but I do see like tons of other people doing pretty much the same thing that I'm doing. And like, uh, you know, their reach is crazy because, you know, they're more outspoken and, you know, yeah. they put their face. I'm trying to do that too, put my myself and my personality into myself. But uh, but yeah, it, it, it can definitely lead because I've had a, a couple deals that have worked out really well for me. But um, yeah, I can definitely see how social media is like it's the hook, man. Yeah. That, that's the hook. You can monetize, you know, today. Yeah, you know, a deals, uh, weird deals can happen uh, through social media. Yeah, I mean, and you're still innovating, which I, which is interesting. You know, you're still looking at your clients and realizing where their strengths are and you know there's a really there's a super cool no nonsense sort of way that your mind thinks in regards to this probably why you're so successful possibilities are really endless so i'm happy to walk in and talk to someone about like a completely ridiculous idea if it looks like the finish line of it is going to make my client a lot of money and if i it gets rejected i'm okay with that because i'm going to learn something else in the process i'm going to ask them well you know why didn't you like that Right. And they'll tell you yeah. nine out of 10 times. They're going to say, well, it's not right for us. Or we don't believe that this is going to be on trend or, and if I take that information and I don't take stuff personally, um, I, early in my career, I would take stuff personally and be like, ah, oh, these people don't like me. And, and, and then I got beyond that and I was like, I'm just going to like pitch stuff out there and see what happens. And if it works great. And if it doesn't work, I'll just move on to the next thing. Yeah. And if you move on to the next thing, it's, it's, it's like, when I first started working as an agent, because I started as an agent, the more no's I got, the closer I was to a yes. Right. That's just the way that it works. And you got to believe that. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's true. I think, you know, we can all, uh, everyone listening can learn from that. You and, do that a lot, Robert. You pitch, and you don't take, I take shit personally. But I'm learning. I'm do getting, oh, I, yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah. I'll pitch an idea, and this guy will be like, no. I go, didn't really finish. Let me finish the thing. Like, I already know. I don't like it. I'm like, you know what? We're you gonna, don't get it. You don't get pass. it. <laughs> yeah, we're going to pass. Okay. No, no. Yeah, but that's the other thing, too, is like, <laughs> because when you go in and pitch stuff, the other thing that happens, because I've been through a lot of pitch meetings, is invariably, the person you're pitching will also say, in the interest of full disclosure, we were just pitched something very similar to this. I get this. that a lot. <laughs> and it's like, oh, really? You know, someone pitched you a story about, you know, a bull and a donkey that elope? Mine is better. I don't believe that. Mine is better. <laughs> um, Before we go any further, I want to get into, I mean, we we're, we'll have to have you back and, and continue yeah, this conversation. Because yeah, I got some yeah. things I want to pitch. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot. Of <laughs> there's stuff a, there's to talk a new about. handle called Dead Motels. Uh, have you heard of this? <laughs> it's awesome. Really? Yeah, it's old. They show like the hotel from the heyday, and then they show it today. Mm-hmm. 
Have you seen that one? Mm-hmm. It's dope. And oh, I can believe it. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't know if there's all, anything there. All along Route 66. Well, you know what? The thing, here's something that's interesting about that. Because you know what I would do with that? What I would do is I would take that idea and I would go to somebody like you know, Marriott or Hyatt or someone who's like a big end oh, place yeah. and, and, and see if they wanted to do a deal where they would create boutique hotels. They'd end up owning them, finance the f- renovation through them or through the network. And then you create this like little chain of boutique hotels. You know, it's funny. I was just thinking that. So we're in business. <laughs> so we're business I pitched that earlier. I'm representing you right now. <laughs> there we now. go. Let's go to Dead Motel. talk to the Marriott. You know? They're in Utah at the temple. Before we get completely going here, I just want to thank our friends over at ExtremeMusic.com for creating an amazing service. Now, listen to me very carefully. If you're a filmmaker, if you create content of any sort, go to ExtremeMusic.com. They have the most amazing array of composers, of people who make music, of bands, of singers. When I did Feliz Navidad, I, um, I needed a lot of acapella stuff. And they had the most amazing acapella versions of Christmas songs that I've ever heard. In fact, I still go back and listen to them and think, wow, these, these, are, uh, these are really great cuts. Um, but, you know, if you're looking for drama, if you're looking for something to feel like a like a, a dynamic score, like a John Williams score, or if you're looking to just have like comedy moments, or if you're looking for love, um, a love moment, an intimate moment, a family moment, you know, Spanish guitar, uh, a saxophone, they really do have it all. And I can't stress enough their system, how easy it is to use. You go on there, you sign up. You create your folders. Each folder can be a project. Each folder can be different types of music. And then, uh, you know, the affordability of it is amazing because, you know, sometimes you can't afford a composer for your movie uh, or your project. So you have to get creative, pay a little bit less money, go find the music you like on extrememusic.com. And you can also adjust it, change it, find different versions of it. You want instrumental, you want vocals, you want less instrument, less percussion. They do it all. ExtremeMusic.com. Check them out. But later in your career, and I don't know how long ago it was, you have um, taken to painting and to getting into art. How? And I asked you about this, and I find it interesting that you had no history of painting in your life, and then you started painting, and now you're doing shows and you're selling your art and people are buying it. And I mean, it's, it, how did you <laughs> the Renaissance how, man? Over yeah. here we're dealing with. Dude, I'm telling you, Jeez. you know, people are like showing his art all over the world. It's crazy. They're buying it everywhere. So how did that start? How did you start painting? Well, I almost died from COVID. I had a, uh, uh, I got COVID early on in early, uh, March of 2020. And, uh, I, I didn't get none of the lung stuff or anything, but I was like really tired and fatigued. There was no testing at the time. Like, you couldn't get a test. I was the first person in Sedona, Arizona, in the county, to have COVID. Oh, wow. Um, I got it when I was back in New York. I went on a business trip, when I prob- which I probably shouldn't have done. And in the middle of April, I played golf and uh, had a real bad pain in my leg that night. And I thought, ah, maybe I you know, hit a cactus or something. And, and uh, it was just it hurt like crazy. So I called my doctor and he says, oh, there's this thing called COVID blood clots. You may have a blood clot. Wow. And get to the hospital. So I went to the hospital and I had a blood clot that went from my groin to my big toe and it had broken off on wow. top and it was flapping. And they're wheeling me to, I did, did an ultrasound and they're wheeling me to a CAT scan and the doctor says to me, what's your religion? And I said, oh, no. that 
is a really bad question, <laughs> yeah. my friend. <laughs> you know, right now it's whatever you need it to be. <laughs> uh, there was a chance I was going to have a pulmonary embolism. So I struggled with that for um, a long time. The idea of coming that close to death because they told me it would be if I was about five or ten minutes later that I wouldn't be here. And so I needed help with that. So I put myself into a 90-day trauma treatment program in Florida. And two weeks before I was leaving, I painted for the first time. I'd never painted before. April 12th, 2021. By the way, that first painting is for sale for a million dollars if anyone wants it. <laughs> Roberts? <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's eight by 11. <laughs> and then after that, I just, I just started to paint. And I just kept painting. I paint every single day. I bring... I bring stuff with me when I travel. Wow. Right now I'm using watercolors because I don't want to screw up everyone's hotel room. But I paint in every hotel room I go to. People buy your paintings. Well, you know, on Instagram, I put up this little Instagram account. And this gallery in Sedona, you know, came to me and said, hey, we've really seen some growth in your work over these past few months. And they did a one-man show with me. And I sold, I think I sold eight or nine pieces at that show initially. <laughs> and, and then after that show, um, I got called by a gallery in uh, Savannah, Georgia, and said, hey, we see your stuff online. We'd be interested in representing you. And I was like, okay, we'll go do that. And then I got a call from a gallery in Madrid, Spain, and one in Berlin. Wow. And, and so, you know, all this stuff just, you know, started to happen. And people started to buy. I've got some serious collectors that have bought the art. I've had clients that have asked me to commission things for them. You know, and I charge them. So <laughs> here, here yeah. on Film Hustlers, we uh, we get the word out there. So what's the handle? And we have a packaging deal. Oh, yeah. there, there you go. It's a packaging deal. Okay. For yeah. every painting you sell, yeah. you me, I'm, good with, I'm good with 3% because the galleries are taking 50%. Oh, right? come it's true. on. It's true. 20, 20. We'll um, go 20. But it's, uh, yeah, it's stanky, S-T-A-N-K-E-Y underscore the underscore artist dot com because someone else took stanky. You know, for 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 Instagram, stanky leg, yeah, stanky leg. Yeah, yeah there you yeah. go. It's a stanky leg dance. Yeah, yeah. you know. So well, that's that's, a, that's, that's amazing. The Instagram handle. That's amazing. We should go check it out. Yeah. Can you buy stuff there? Or contact you to buy. Uh, you things? can contact me through yeah. it uh, That's cool. to do it, but it, you know it's kind of interesting right now from the standpoint of like just through the Instagram account, I'm selling like two or three paintings a week, wow. and the money that I get for the paintings, I donate to trauma treatment. Wow, yeah. wow that's because really I just cool. think it's important, you know. Um, so has it helped back. you? Has it helped you uh, in terms of um, you know whatever you were feeling? about the covid yeah issue? it's helped me tremendously it gets it's it's allowed me to express my feelings in a way that i was never able to express them before and um a lot of the paintings that i do like i'm a giant music fan and and so a lot of the paintings i do are named after either songs that have inspired me or i i see i i, I hear a color so like sometimes i'll be thinking about something and i'll be like oh, i'm hearing blue in this song and then I'll use blue on that painting in some way shape or form it's called synesthesia um, it's a you know I don't know if it's a mental disease or a neurological disorder I'm capable of both <laughs> but it's uh, interesting how a lot of the stuff just you know comes comes about and yeah. you know on the other side of that you know, when you're talking about calling people on the phone, you, you've got to be fearless about a lot of this stuff. Yeah. You can't take it seriously. Funny story. Early in my career, I was like 24 years old, and the Jacksons announced they were going to do their victory tour. Okay, so I read this in the trades. And I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, and Pepsi's spending a ton of money at the time. And Roger Enrico was the chairman of Pepsi, and he lived in New Canaan, Connecticut. And way back then, 
you know, their phone numbers were like, you know, you called, you know, whatever it was, not 911, 411 or whatever information was. And I called Roger Enrico the day that it was like, and I called up and I said, I'm representing the Jacksons. And I think Pepsi would be a great sponsor for this. And Roger Enrico calls me back. And he's like, you're representing the Jacksons? Says, yeah. I said, we're looking for a sponsor for the tour. And this is all nonsense because the tour is being controlled by a guy by the name of Michael Cole, who went on to become the chairman of Live Nation, Canadian guy. And he's an awesome dude. Michael Cole is like one of the truly good guys in the business. And Roger Enrico was no idiot. And he didn't think he could. We very quickly figured out this 24-year-old kid wasn't representing the Jacksons. And the mistake that I made was I didn't call Michael Cole first to say, hey, I've got this idea, I'm gonna go do this. Had I done that, I probably could have made the deal with Pepsi because Michael would have honored something along those lines. But instead, Roger Enrico you know, put you know, the bat squad on it and they figured out, oh, it's Michael Cole who's doing the tour, so they called Michael Cole the next day and they made a deal oh with him. Oh my God, 72 dude, hours. that's yeah. huge. Well, you, <laughs> well you, you, that's, an amazing, that's an amazing story. You could take credit for that, though, Stanky. I'm, I'm, I'm giving you credit. Making it happen, making it happen. Well, um, I'm gonna put you on the spot because we here at uh, Film Hustlers, this is our fourth season, um, Rod, who's who the fuck Rod? is Rod? Um, Tootie, is a filmmaker he does indies he's he's done a successful film um and davy dave's a content um, creator actor the whole thing i'm a producer you know that but part of what we do here is we've been we've been talking to people for four seasons about what they can do how they you know similar to what we had a conversation today how to get yourself ahead what you can do you know our secrets the other professional secrets kind of like you gave today um Inspiration, inspirational, motivation. Inspirational stories. Make it happen. Making it happen. But this season, we decided we were going to make our own movie. So the film hustlers are making a short. And I sent you... Yep. Um, I sent you an audio version, yes, and I did. sent you the script. And he read... He By the way, he listened to it, and he read it. Oh, really? What yeah. did you think of that? I thought it was really, really powerful. Mm. It's dark. Uh, but the characters are great. Um it had me like on the edge of my seat at one point, like, you know, heading into, you know, after the guy hung, I don't want to give it away. But, yeah, that's you know, okay. He hung um, himself. You know, yeah. After the guy hung himself, um, or did he really hang himself? You know, was it a Jeffrey Epstein type of hanging? Is that what happened there? Is that what <laughs> sort that of, was? Sort of, yeah. Um, and then going in and, and seeing, was that his father? Yeah. yeah. With, the, you know, that was just, I thought it was really, really powerful. Even though it was dark, it was powerful. Yeah. And, you know, and I think as a short, you know, I think that, I think that will get a lot of, uh, I think film festivals will like that as a short. Yeah, I honestly. think so and too. As a painter, we're going Caravaggio. Oh, yeah. That's the feel we're going <laughs> yeah. with. Yeah. Oh, speaking of, we should put Stanky's, one of Stanky's paintings Absolutely. in Sent, no, is it Santoro? Santoro's, yeah. It uh, could be Santoro. right behind him on yeah, the Yeah, it could be interesting. So, um, so what we're doing is we are, we, you know, we've been having conversations with many types of investors, people involved in the industry, and we've been raising money to do the, to do the movie. Um, Tootie's going to be directing it. He wrote it. We're going to be producing it, like physically producing it. We've got great actors. I'm going to mention the actors because I'm in the middle of making these deals, mm -hmm. and they're pie in the sky 
you know, scenarios. And I'm not going to say that we've booked them yet. I yeah. realize that I can say it that way. Yeah. But you know, uh, Emilia Rivera, who's who's right. who's been uh, you know on TV forever, uh, is a friend of ours, and we've met with him and had lunch He's with him. Been on the show too. He's been on the show, and uh, he is going to be playing Mendoza, mm. the killer, and. Um, you know, it, we're just pending availability time. I mean, it doesn't matter when he can do it. We want him to do it. So we'll yeah. wait for him till after uh, Mayans. Yeah. Um, but we're talking to him. We haven't closed his deal yet. And then we have a couple of actors for um, for Santoro. It's, it's either Efren Figueroa, uh, who's a great actor. Great and actor. Uh, we've also discussed it with uh, Edward James Olmos. Oh, Ed would be great. Yeah, so Ed, Ed, Eddie would be amazing, and uh, his availability is in question. But he, but we've mentioned it to all these guys. Uh, they've all taken a look at it. We've um, have not closed on any of them, so these are all hopes and dreams for us. But we've have discussed it with all of them, and all of them are are willing to do it. So what I'm going to ask you is: Is there any chance that you could support us financially to make some of this film? Potentially. Okay, so let me give you an idea. We're raising $50,000 to make it. Mm -hmm. We've got 25000 in place. The film hustlers are putting up 5000 yeah. And we have, believe it or not, our DP liked it so much that he's putting up $5,000. Well, we got to shoot on, we're shooting on film. Yeah, we're going to shoot it on film. Shoot on film? Yeah. yeah. So it, well, it's, that's great, though. It's an artistic endeavor yes. to the highest degree. And so when we, when we talked last night, I thought, for sure, I'm going to ask Stanky. Um, if you can join us and you can do anywhere between what we did which is five to 25 i'm in for five there you go there we go all right cool hey there you go thank you sir um all right well i put you on the spot it came through yeah. we got we got another five uh and we're going to continue to do this we're going to shoot the film at the end of january yeah so it's going to be done and done can uh, the guy hang himself in a carl's jr maybe we can go to them and oh, get, get some money see, i like what he's thinking you know come on like there's you know let's <laughs> yeah. let's cobble this all together yeah. you know can he hang himself with like a dior robe you know let's 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 like look at this seriously in terms of product placement yeah. in here there's a lot of possibility but i'm serious about putting a stanky in santoro's yes home that yeah, could yeah. be cool right something yeah. dark something interesting i don't know i haven't yeah. i haven't if seen you all something your work dark, i can do dark you yeah know? so maybe you can create something specifically for that scene and Just we'll put let it up me know there. i'll do it let me know what size i'm on it because that's part of the issue too in film is that you can't just shoot in a house that's already got paintings you know you have to clear that yeah. did you know yeah, that yeah. yeah all that has to be cleared so if we can get one of yours that'd be that, oh, that would help uh, us that would be great and maybe mendoza could look past in toro and go is that a <laughs> there you go. That, you that know makes it even better. I'm in for 20. Oh, there we go. Dude, can I tell you something? I actually thought that. I did. Oh, here you go. Still my ideas. No, I actually thought that. I was thinking, like, would it be interesting if Mendoza said, is that a stanky? Because you know, because Emilio could do. Emilio could pull yeah. that off. Yeah. Emilio could pull that off. In that, in, ten, in that moment of like intensity, he breaks it with like that. And then he goes, yeah. and then it goes back to tense. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, that's hysterical. But we'll definitely get a painting from you. We got five from you, which is terrific. Thank you very much for You're supporting. Welcome. You think we can get into a Sedona Film Festival with this? For sure. Okay, good. Wow. There's a for sure. Right for sure, you can get into the Sedona Film Festival. I might be able to help you out with the Santa Fe, Santa Fe Film Festival. Oh, as great. Well. Yeah. That's a good one, too. Um, but uh, Sedona has a very good shorts program. I had a panel. Yeah, you did a panel. You were good. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. But we are shooting for Sundance with this. That's our number one goal for January of 2024. Yeah. So that's going to be our goal. But I just want to thank you for being on the show because I think 
your story is inspirational. I think tons of people are going to appreciate listening to this. They're going to get inspired. Thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing your story with us. Thank you for joining us in beautiful darkness. And uh, we'll hit you up for that money uh, sometime in the future. We'll figure it out. Okay. All right. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thank 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 you you for listening to Film Hustlers. Hustlers. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks, Stinky. Thank you. And we put you on the spot and you delivered. Love that.